Alrighty, everybody. Hello, and uh, welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. Uh, this is John. And this is Dan. And we are here with another uh, spicy episode, uh, bringing to you this week the party game Uno. Um, so, welcome to the episode, Uno Dos Tres. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's actually Tres Dos Uno, but we'll forgive you this once, John. Uh, so... Before we get into any rules and strategy, as always, we're going to take you through the origins of the game of Uno. So, uh, and by the way, this story is adapted from an article on HowStuffWorks.com, and we'll include that in the show notes. Uh, So Uno was adapted from the popular card game Crazy Eights in 1971 by Ohio barbershop owner Merle Robbins. Initially, he played with his family and friends. Uh, They loved it, and so they thought others might love it too. Pulled together some money, printed some card games, uh, which they sold from this barbershop and from some other local businesses. Eventually, Robin sold the rights to a guy named Robert Tezak, who owned a funeral parlor. And uh, the price was $50,000 for this card game. Uh, And later on, Tezak formed international games to market this new game called uno uh, and in the process he became a multi-millionaire international games became a part of mattel in 1992 and today uno is played by millions and millions of people around the world uh, one of the most popular party card games around Uh, so i guess i would say tezak made it big on this one uh, but the inventor merle robbins also did pretty well here i think yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the game got handed from a barbershop owner to a funeral parlor owner, uh, and then to all of America. So, uh, yeah. well, the world, all the world actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know, kind of, kind of a strange origin, but uh, still interesting nonetheless. Um, yeah. yeah. So when do you play Uno, Jono? When's your favorite time and place? Hmm. So my most of my memories of Uno uh, probably came from uh, high school. Um, towards the end of the year uh, in school when teachers sort of uh, stopped giving you work to do, <laughs> um, there would be a lot of people in my classes that would bring, break out Uno and start playing. They'd, you know, pool their desks together in these massive clumps of desks and just play Uno um, for all the class time they could get They could get free. Um, and, yeah, that's, like, mainly when I've seen it played. I think I've played it a few times here and there um, with groups, but... Uh, it really just yeah brings back the uh, high school uh, close to summer vibes for me. <laughs> mm, good vibes indeed. Yeah, I think most of the time when I've played Uno, it's been in a family setting. So, uh, you know, over at at relatives for New Year's, uh, I guess over at at our house for New Year's, um, you know, when we've got a lot of people over, uh, really any time when we've got a people over, uh, a lot of people over, uh, I think Uno's fair game and it's always a hit. Uh, so, uh, what do you think makes Uno so popular, John? Hmm, well, I think probably just the simplicity of it. Um, I mean, you have all these cards, um, different colors, different numbers, but each card only has one color and one thing that it does, right? So you have like, you know, it's, it's, it's super simple. Um, even the cards that do stuff just have one word, like reverse or skip. So super easy to pick up. Um, also just really fun because you get to, you're constantly interacting with, um, all the people you're playing against because you have to kind of continue this chain of cards, um, has that really satisfying feeling of, of winning when everyone else has a ton of cards in their hand. 
Um, and also the really like satisfying feeling of watching your friend draw cards turn after turn. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I think it kind of hits all the right notes for uh, a game, really. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the simplicity, which you pointed out, um, I mean, I, I think the colors are also a non-trivial part of it. <laughs> um, I, I think there's probably a reason why many more people play Uno than Crazy 8s these days. Um, just much more colorful game. Uh, I think the vindictive element is uh, can be really fun, um, you know, very social game. So, yeah, making making your friend draw two or four is always nice or skip their turn, too. Um, and, yeah, you can play over and over again. Game plays pretty quick. Um, you know, a lot of randomness involved. So you get a lot of different winners uh, in a given sitting. So, yeah, lots of elements for a fun party game. Yeah, well, I mean, the games can be quick until they're not, and then <laughs> sometimes they can go on forever. That's uh, that's kind of what I remember playing some super long games where everyone's got a ton of cards in their hand, but um, oh, man. most of the time, yeah, it should it should wrap up in you know fifteen to twenty minutes or something. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, now that we've gone through sort of an introduction to Uno and its origins and what makes it fun. We're going to enter into our Rules Blitz segment now, uh, so let's get to it. Yeah, and so if you uh, if you already remember how to play the game, feel free to skip ahead, um, but if you just want a quick refresher on how Game of Uno goes, um, then feel free to listen in. Alrighty, welcome to Rules Blitz, where we talk about the rules really, really fast. Today we're doing Uno. Uh, go ahead and start us off, Dan. Uno is a party game designed for two or more players. The object of the game is to rid your hand of all cards. The first person with zero cards left in their hand wins the round. The game features 76 number cards, 24 action cards, and 8 wild cards for a total of 108 cards. The number cards feature 8 of each number from 1 to 9 and 4 zero cards. The action cards feature 8 skips, 8 reverses, and 8 draw twos. Number and action cards are split evenly between four colors, red, green, blue, and yellow, for a total of 25 cards of each color. The wild cards feature four standard wilds and four wild draw fours. Before the game, each player is dealt seven cards. The remainder of the cards are placed face down in a pile. This is the draw pile. At the start of the game, the top card is drawn from the draw pile and placed face up next to the pile. This card is now the discard pile. Play normally starts with the, left, with the player left of the dealer and proceeds clockwise. Each turn, the player whose turn it is plays a card that matches the top card of the discard pile in color or face. Alternatively, a wild card may be played. This allows the player to choose the color of the discard pile. If a player cannot or does not want to play a matching card, they may draw one card and then either play a card or pass their turn. If a skip card is played, the next player in line skips their turn. If a reverse card is played, play order reverses. If a draw two card is played, the next player in line skips their turn and draws two cards. If a wild draw four card was played, then the next player in line skips their turn and draws four cards. The player who played the card can also choose the color of the deck. A player is only allowed to play a wild draw four card if it is the only playable card in their hand. The player on the other end of the wild draw four is allowed to challenge the wild draw four play. If this player challenges, the player who played the card must show their hand. If the play was not legal, the player who played the wild draw four draws four instead. If the play was legal, the player who challenged draws six. Before playing your next-to-last card, you must say Uno. 
If you don't say Uno and another player catches you with just one card before the next player begins their turn, you must pick four more cards from the draw pile. If you are not caught before the next player starts their turn, you do not need to draw the cards. There are three accepted versions of scoring. In match play, scoring does not extend beyond the current round. The player who plays their last card first wins the round. In point play, the winner is awarded the outstanding value of the opposing cards left at the end of the round. Face value for numbers, uh, 20 points each for actions, and 50 points each for wild cards. The first to 500 cumulative points wins. In alternative point play, the value of each player's cards left at the end of the round is added to their own total. As players reach 500 points, they are removed from play until one winner is left standing. Alrighty, and this has been Rules Blitz. So that was Rules Blitz. I uh, hope you didn't hope you enjoyed it. Now uh, we're going to real quick before we get into strategy. Uh, if you didn't happen to listen to Rules Blitz, uh, we're going to remind you of the three different forms of gameplay: the uh, regular match play, the point play, and the quote alternative point play. Um, so we're going to go through all of those different versions. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about some basic strategies uh, that are kind of tried and, to, tried and true should work um, no matter what version of the game you're playing. So uh, the first one I have here is simply uh, pl pay attention to the cards you have and pay attention to the cards that have been played. So if you're wondering, does this mean counting cards? Uh, I would say actually yes to an extent. Uh, so, when it comes to knowing exactly how many cards of each number and color have been played by each player, obviously that's a lot to keep track of, but it can be easier to think of, okay, about five or six greens have been played and seven or eight yellows, or, you know, even you might, you might be able to have the number exactly down. Um, so, basically, count cards as much as you can. Uh, because the number of colors that have been played and the number of cards left in the game uh, that can be of a certain color is going to be important, especially as we get to the end game. Yeah, and I think people might seem a little daunted by um, hearing the, like the term counting cards. Um, in this case, it's, uh, it's a pretty simple version. All you need to do is, is keep a tally you're basically just keeping a tally of, of the colors. You don't even need to keep track of really much else. Um, it's just red, green, blue, and yellow. Uh, and it can be as simple as as just having an idea in your head of, oh, a lot of reds were played earlier, um, but then a lot of yellows were played, and so then, a lot of, then not as many blues and greens have been played. Uh, it doesn't really need to be exact, but um, that's sort of... You just kind of want to keep track. Um, it's kind of nice also because uno will tend to like it lends itself to having long streaks of a certain color um, because it's a bit more difficult to change the color of the discard pile as opposed to just changing um, the number or the face showing on the discard pile uh, because it's really yeah basically it's really easy to play something of the same color harder to play something of the same face so yeah and so i think Basically, the idea is you, you want to kind of keep track of uh, what's been played and also keep track of what you have. Uh, for example, if a lot of red cards have been played, but you have a lot of red cards still in your hand, 
um, it might actually make sense for you to try and play out those red cards because since a lot of them have already been played, um, other people will probably have less of them by comparison. So then you're more likely to make other players draw if you play your red card. So that's one example of when um, counting cards will be uh, helpful to uh, informing your decisions in the game. Right, definitely. And I think that leads nicely into the next concept, which is color and or number diversification uh, and using it to sort of ensure that you can play. Now, I, I know this is a pretty contested subject, at least on the online forums we were reading, but um, so diversification, if you remember from our episode on backgammon, is essentially making it so that, um, you know, if you have, you have to do one thing each round, right? And so if you have three or four things um, in your hand that you could possibly play, uh, then, you know, that's nice. It, get, it gives you a nice, secure way to go forward. Whereas if you only have, say, one color in your hand, uh, then unless that color is played or, you know, you get lucky some other reason, like you match a number or whatever, you won't be able to go forward. So the idea of diversification is just sort of ensuring that each round, each time your, your turn comes around, you'll be able to play a card. Um, now, where this gets tricky is when we get to late in the game. So if you have a very diverse hand late in the game, let's say you have a green, a blue, and a yellow, um, how likely are you to actually be able to play that hand out and win the game? So, John, I'm wondering if you have some thoughts here. Yeah, and, um, well, I think for now, I think the concept mainly that that, lead, that uh, makes it harder for you to play out a lot of colors from your hand is the fact that it is harder to switch colors than it is to switch numbers. Kind of the same thing I was saying before. So, um, basically, if you have one of each color in your hand and then say the discard pile is yellow and you play a yellow, well, the most likely color that the pile will be when it comes back around to you is yellow, and then you won't have a card to play. So in that case, uh, it would have benefited you to have two yellows and then maybe a couple other colors. Um, so in some cases, diversification can actually uh, help you play on this turn, but it can almost make it more difficult for you to play on the next turn. So that's why it's a bit controversial. It's not... Um, quite clear to either of us, I think we're planning on discussing it a bit, um, whether you're more likely to win a game with a very diverse hand or uh, a very non-diverse hand, so like all of the same color hand. Um, I think it can go either way with, with all the randomness, but one might be a little better than the other. We're not quite sure. Yeah, so I think we will get into that later. Um, the next basic strategy that I have here is use your actions against winning opponents. Uh, so, so basically, you know, your skips, your reverses, your draw twos, uh, they are sort of weapons in your hand. And so if you can use them to um, sort of attack somebody, if you will, uh, you would probably rather attack somebody who's winning than, you know, a person who's got 10 cards in their hand and you just, you know, it might, it might be kind of fun to give them 14 cards when they already have 10, but, uh, it doesn't really further your, 
winning prospects. So, um, you know, the idea basically is use these cards um, to hurt the people uh, that are threatening you. Now, which version of the game you're playing um, will will sort of dictate who is a threat and who is not necessarily a threat. And again, we'll get more into that later, uh, but this is the general point. Use your actions against your winning opponents. Anything to add there, John? Uh, well, yeah, I think just to kind of think about who is winning, as a general rule, it's going to be the people with less cards in their hand. So that is, again, another thing you got to keep track of um, if you want to play you know, sort of optimal Uno, Uno uh, is you got to keep track of who has what in their hand. And um, usually other players will do a good job of making sure that you know who's about to win. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people will, you know, or first of all, you'll just hear people saying Uno when they only have one card in their hand. Um, but even when someone's getting down to two or three cards in hand, other, other players tend to notice and say something um, to make sure that everybody knows to target those players with attacks if they can. So I think, yeah. And again, it's just, it's uh, basically people aren't as much of a threat to you if they have a ton of cards in hand. Um, but if they have a, only a few cards in hand, you, you got to watch out for them. Right. Got it. Okay. So then the next and final point I have for basic strategies is hold wilds as late as you can. Now, I think, I think we have a couple talking points here. Um, so one is simply how late is that? <laughs> um, and then the second I think is, d is this true for both wilds and wild draw fours or is it just true for wilds? Uh, so I don't know if we wanted to get more into this now or if we wanted to talk about it more later in the program when we get to advanced strategies, but, um, Simply put, uh, wilds are very powerful, and um, you know they they let you choose the color, uh, and you can sort of play no matter what. Uh, so, I mean, playing no matter what, I think, is almost secondary to being able to choose the color. Um, you know, because if you've been counting your cards and you know which colors are likely to be had by other players, you know, you can really uh, sort of stick it to the other players if uh, if you can play a wild at the right moment. So that's the idea behind why you want to hold them late. Um, you know, when it comes to match play versus point play, um, you might have different incentives about when you want to get rid of them. Uh, but, you know, in general, I think the point to be taken away is wilds are very powerful and you shouldn't just sort of play them willy-nilly, you know, or again, like don't, don't just play them to um, sort of, give somebody else who, you know, you know only has blues, um, you know, get them from 10 to 14 cards because, you know, they have to keep drawing because they can't play anything, uh, you know, use them strategically, hold them late um, so that you can really gain from them. Well, and I think actually the fact that you can play wild cards at any time, well, not a wild draw four, but a regular wild card anytime, uh, really uh, we should be careful not to understate that because I think can be very useful if you can manage to set up a wild card as one of your last two cards or even your last three cards um, because then for example you can just keep sort of fishing around until you can get get rid of your last two and then your if your last card is a wild card um, then you just win unless you get attacked in some way um, and I think it's essentially 
in that way it almost doesn't take up a slot in your hand um, because you don't have to worry about when you can play it so I think that's like that's very powerful and, and it's a it's one of the few ways to consistently win a game um, of course you can always get hit with a draw four or a skip or something like that but yeah uh, and also I'd like to mention like normally you I think you met, you talked about uh, whether you should hold your wild draw fours but again uh, you can't play those unless you unless it's your only available move unless you want to bluff um and so i think basically based on what we've said about regular wild wild cards um you know i think it sort of follows that you probably don't want to bluff to play a wild draw four um early in the game or when you have a lot of cards the kind of the same thing you'd rather hold it until you basically have no other option to use it in most cases um we might touch on a few times where that wouldn't be the case, but um, and we might even disagree. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. All right, cool. Well, uh, that's that's all I have for uh, basic strategies. Uh, any more points before we move on to the different forms of play, John? Um, no, yeah, I guess just to summarize, you know, try and keep that do as best as you can to keep track of what's going on to sort of inform your decisions, and otherwise, it's just just play cards. I mean, um, obviously, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of fun to, uh, make matches and switch the colors willy nilly. And, and we'll talk about that, uh, later, but as far as basic strategy goes, you really just want to be focused on thinking about what your opponents are going to be most likely to have in their hands. And then also look at your hand and, and, um, how you can play out your hand in the best way to mess with your opponents. Cool. All right, so first we're going to talk about match play. So this is probably the simplest version of the game. Um, so we we give this the name match play. Uh, I think even that is probably too formal a name for how most people play, including us, by the way. Um, so basically, match. what we mean by match play is just when when you finish a round, like that round, you know, the winner of that round <laughs> sort of, wins the round there's like no more no less i mean maybe maybe you have a version where like you know the first to 20 rounds wins uh which is effectively um you know qualitatively similar to this but you know simply put like the outcome of one round doesn't affect the outcome of another round uh it doesn't affect you know who's who's like ahead so to speak uh basically all of your decisions should be made um, with respect to how it helps you win this round. Yeah, like you, you can't win a round more <laughs> in this uh, in this version, whereas in the later versions when you're counting points, you'll see that you can win a round in a blowout and it'll actually help you win the match as a whole. But in this case, each round, like you said, is, is just independent and um, you're really just focusing on getting down to zero cards at all costs. Um, does it matter... You don't have to think about what could be in your hand when someone else wins the game, which is kind of what you're going to have to consider in the uh, later versions. Um, so this is why I think that in in match play specifically, um, you want to be careful to do sort of like micromanage the diversity of your hand. So like, for example, if you have, you want to keep track of both your color diversity, like how many colors you have, but you also want to keep track of your number diversity. Um for example, if you have, you know, a red nine and a red seven, and then you have a yellow seven, um, and then the color is red, 
the color discard pile is red, it might behoove you to play the red 7 instead of the red 9 because then you're left with both a 7 and a 9 in your hand, which is going to allow you to play more often than if you have two 7s in your hand. So that's just another like a slight change and and in later versions you'll see that that you probably just want to play the higher valued card um because that comes with its own benefits but here in match play um yeah i think i think you really just want to prioritize losing all your cards as fast as possible yeah and i, and I mean i think um you know later on we'll see you do have an incentive to play your higher valued cards first in the other versions but here in match play, it, it literally doesn't matter. It's all or nothing. Uh, so there's, you know, other things being equal, there's no reason you'd want to play a nine instead of a seven. Um, you know, if you if you could play both, you just play the one that gives you the best chance of being able to, to continue to play um, and get closer to winning this round. Mm -hmm. And similarly... You, you don't really necessarily care about who has been winning um, the previous rounds. Uh, you just want to do whatever's best for you to win this round. So so say like you have a friend who who's just been going off and they've won the last three rounds. And this round they're not looking like much of a threat. But you have another friend who hasn't won yet, but their hand's pretty small. Um, basically, there's no reason not to target the player who's closest to winning right now um you don't need to think about what's happened in the previous games unless you just want to be vindictive which uh right. can definitely happen just you know part of what makes it fun yeah um yeah i mean I, and i think to to be fair one of the examples i gave of you know playing the first to 20 games you know maybe if if the leader of the current round is not um you know very very behind in the overall match count and another person who's ahead in the match count is like in second place, you know, maybe you target that person, but you know, in general, I think if, um, if you're not keeping score of how many matches, then, you know, you just want to target whoever's leading the round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, well, yeah, I guess, and that's another reason to, there's no reason not to hold the action cards, I guess, right? So so if you have a reverse or if you have a skip that you can potentially use to stop someone who's in the lead, um, you know, later in the game, you there's no reason to play those cards if you don't have to. Um, they're not it doesn't really matter if you're stuck with those cards at the end of the game, um, because you ideally just will win the round and have it zero all, cards in your hand at the end of the game. Because at the end of the round, it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Dave. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and actually, it, it, it just goes back in the pile. But you know what we mean. Right. So, um, I think we've covered match play. Um, you know, again, it's it's this probably the simplest version. Uh, so, I think we can move on to point play now. Mm -hmm. Um which you know i don't i don't think either of us was super aware that this type of play existed before we started researching which is interesting because apparently it's the most common right yeah so so what's interesting about point play is that it does matter uh what you have in your hand at the end of the game because uh, sorry at the end of the round because all of your cards the value of all your cards and everybody who lost their cards uh, goes to the winner 
and you'll play to a point total like 500. Uh, 500, I think, is the official version. You can pick any number. Um, and the first person to 500 wins. Uh, and some of the point values of these cards, I mean, the numbers are face value, um, but, you know, the actions are 20, and the wild cards are 50. So that is, you know, a tenth of the way to victory. So you really want to be mindful of not ending the game with a wild, um, right? You know, actions too, but like a little less costly. Um, so, you know, this is where you get into, yeah, all other things being equal. If I can play a seven or a nine, I'll probably play a nine because that will leave my opponent who wins with fewer points after they win. Um, so, but yeah, with, with wilds, I mean, one of our general principles was hold wilds as late as possible. So now sort of when we, we start thinking about like how late is too late, um, is there any point where you should start thinking about offloading your wilds, um, sort of, even though it might not be a quote optimal time to play them? Well, I would say as long as you have, say you only have one wild, um, you can, it only takes one turn to play out that wild, right? So I would say if you, basically if you have people that are really close to winning, for example, they literally only have one card left or two cards left, then you think about playing the wild just because. Um, but just kind of, I guess, think about whether you're going to get another turn. <laughs> so if you don't play the wild this turn, are you likely to get another turn before the game ends? Uh, and if you are, you can save the wild. Because I still think it's pretty un like most of the time, you'll get another turn if if someone only has if someone has two cards in their, or if if no one has one card in their hand, um, you know, then you're pretty much guaranteed to get another turn. I believe. I don't think there's any way to play two cards from yeah, your hand, right? You're right? Unless someone skips you. Yeah. And that's, that's the only thing you got to worry about. But I feel like that's sort of not worth worrying about. If you're not, if you're like not going to be winning the game anyway, then I think people won't necessarily have an incentive to skip you. So I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so if, I mean, and, and of course, sometimes a skip is the only card you can play. Right. So you, so you should think about that too. But yeah, broadly speaking, they shouldn't be targeting you if somebody else over here has one card left or two cards left and you have much more than that. So, um, uh, I think so with a with a wild, you know, if if your opponent let's say let's say you have two wilds and your opponent has two cards left, you know, are you playing one of these two wilds this next turn? I would say probably. Okay. Um you don't need to. I mean, I could I could definitely see it paying off not doing that. Um if you have the option not to it's still quite unlikely just that your if your opponent has two cards that they're going to finish out in two rounds it's definitely mm -hmm. possible so i don't know what do you do right. you think the risk reward is is worth it yeah i mean i i think it's almost um you're almost less better off playing a, a wild in that scenario i f i feel like because i don't know they're i think they're less likely to go out in the next two turns with two cards than they are on the next one turn with one card what definitely do you think about this probabilistically i would yeah, say def yeah, that's, that's true, gotta right? be true yeah 
Um, also, one thing is that if you have the wild card, you can dictate the color, right? So if they do get down to one card, you can play the wild card and dictate the color to something that you think they don't have. Mm-hmm. So you actually probably can force them to not go out in two turns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, I think there's like a solid case to be made for not playing a wild card if you have two wild cards and your opponent has, and the first place opponent has two cards in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably worth pointing out that, you know, if you've got if you've got those two wilds, you know, early in the game and you can't play uh you can't play any of your number cards. Um actually we'll we'll get into reneging later. I, I keep I keep getting to it, but we'll we'll save that juicy stuff for the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um yeah, so basically to summarize, um you're you're trying to because your outcomes are cumulative you need to maximize your chances of winning the overall game so if you're ahead in the round uh this should mean winning the round no so so if you're if you are in first place this round do you sort of move from you know being conscious of the point values of your cards to this sort of match play mentality of um I'm doing whatever it takes to win the round. So, you know, I'll play a four instead of a nine because, you know, I think there are more nines left or I'll, play, you know, stuff like that. You know, maybe that's a bad example, but or I'll, I'll, I'll hold my action cards to be held against the next best player, um, you know, even though they're harder to play. Yeah, I think there's definitely a case uh, to be made for that. So just playing, I guess it, you consider that playing aggressively, right? Like, or yeah aggressively like yeah, holding yeah. holding your strong cards for the end is actually an aggressive play because you're not planning for you're not planning on losing essentially right. um and so i think that's generally like a good thing unless you're neck and neck with someone if someone else if you're pretty much even with someone but you two are way ahead of the rest of the pack then you might consider still playing somewhat cautiously okay wait sorry can you can you run that back? So, like, if you have a lot of action cards, if you have a, an action card that you can play or you can play a number card, um, and it would put you at two cards, and it w- and you also have an opponent that's at two cards, mm-hmm. but the rest of the people have, like, five or six cards in their hand, right? Uh-huh. Then you might think about playing the action mm-hmm. because it's not really clear if you're ahead in that situation. Okay. Like, like basically, if... if you're ahead of most of the people, but there's someone else who's somewhat close to you. Mm-hmm. Then I would say it's still be a little bit cautious about how many points you're keeping in your hand. Okay, because you might end up losing the round. Yeah, because you can very easily lose a round even if you get down to one card, right? Right, definitely. So then your your odds of winning, even if you look like you're ahead, are not that high. <laughs> um, okay, is my understanding of the of the randomness of the game. Every time you kind of make a, a run down to one or two cards, it's still not that likely that you win. Um, okay. So yeah. so you don't want that one card to be like, you know, a skip or a reverse. Even that, though that's probably yeah. okay, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like because because your points are, you know, everyone's points are being awarded to the winner. Uh, and and it's not like your points are directly counting negatively against you. 
uh, it's, you know, if, you know, unless, unless your points go to the person who is ahead in the total point count, you're not losing that much, I feel like. Um, so, yeah. so like, yeah, so that's when right. it comes to keeping track of who's ahead in the entire game, right? Right. Um, and that's another thing that we were going to talk about is like you you need to not only think about who's looking like they're going to win this round, but you also need to think about um, who's winning the game. Because, I mean, yeah, the points in, in point play, um, points only go to the person who wins the round. Mm-hmm. So I guess, so you need to like think about how many points that person already has if they look like they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not even sure that it changes too much because I feel like you still just attack whoever's going to win the round, whoever you think is going to win the round. And like you said, maybe if the person who has the most points total um, is looking like they're in uh, like a close second place for this round, you might mm-hmm. attack them. Right. But most of the time, like unless that's the case, you'd, probably just attack whoever's winning the round got it yeah and I, I think that makes sense because you know again your points go to the winner of the round so if you know unless the point leader is winning the round or might win the round you don't really care about attacking them you know if they end if they end up with more cards at the end because you attack them it's not it's not a negative to them. It's just a positive to whoever won the round. So it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not really the vindictive idea of like, I'm cutting down the person who's, who's in front, you know? So like, yeah, that, that makes sense. You really should only be concerned if it looks like they might win. Yeah. And I think you don't, um, we're also keep saying like the player in the lead, but also if there's players that are, close behind you need to watch out for them too Mm -hmm. Um, basically any player that's going to be threatening to take a a big lead if they win another round another round right so yeah it really you really have to throw in the context of what's happened in the previous rounds into your decisions for this game and who to try and attack right Uh, yeah cool okay so then i think um Yeah, okay, one one more topic I wanted to get in here before we move on to the alternative point play is if you're sufficiently behind uh do you do you shift your focus toward like offloading your high value cards? Let like let's say everybody has two or three and you have eight or nine cards. You know, do you do you shift your focus from like, you know, holding wilds late so they'll be useful to gosh i can't i can't end up with a wild or a, or a skip or a reverse i don't want to give the winner all these points and i'm not going to win anyway so you know i'm i'm sort of not going to worry about playing these strategically i'm just going to play them when i can play them do you do that yeah i think that's got to be this it's got to be the smart move um if your odds of winning a round are again we're gonna say sufficiently low and this could be any sort of cutoff and it's really hard to like calculate what this cutoff is but in the example that you said where you're clearly behind you have seven or eight cards and everyone else and multiple people have only two cards or less um i think it has to be better for you in the long run if you just play all of your highest valued cards because 
And I think that in that case, it's really obvious. But even in other cases where, you know, you have five or six cards, other people have um, one or two, like two players have two cards, you have five or six, and then a couple players are in the middle at like three or four cards. Even then, I think that's that's when the question comes into play. Like how far behind do you have to be to try and offload points? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. if it If it were me... Uh, playing, which, you know, again, I don't think we're going to get to a robust right answer here, uh, but listeners, if you if you want to email us with what you think, that would be great. Uh, details after the show. But if it were me, I would probably say if I'm like two to three cards behind, um, then I'm I'm starting to think about offloading for offloading's sake and maybe that's too close but you know i just like if you know if a round if you win a round and it's worth 50 points versus you win a round and it's worth 100 points that's just a really big difference um and so if you have two or three action cards um like that's that's basically the difference we're talking about in terms of what you might be able to offload before the victory is had um so you know like i it's it's cool to play spoiler um and to to make victory more more difficult for your opponent when it's not in sight for you and um you know I don't know what it says about me that it, it seems like I'm giving up relatively soon uh, by saying two or three cards behind. But, uh, you know, I think I just I like to be conservative when it comes to that that sort of strategy. I don't know. What do you think, John? I think I think probably three cards is when I is when I think about doing it. And especially if I have multiple action cards, I mean, because each action card, that's 20 points. Um, especially if I have multiple wilds, which are 50, like I'm definitely playing, I feel like I'm definitely playing a wild if I'm three cards behind and the person I'm behind has one or two cards. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't really worry too much if a person has three or more cards. Because I feel like, because if you think about it, like, you know, we're saying like two or three cards behind. Um, That's all, that's like a really relative difference because if if you have, if it's seven versus 10, like, it's not a big deal. Exactly. That's like you're not that far behind. But if it's two cards versus five or one card versus four especially, then it's like you – I feel like you need to like start losing some points, especially if you have multiple action cards or multiple wilds in your hand. Mm-hmm. If you only have one of them, you might be more conservative. You might wait till you're even a little further behind um, if you think that like – eventually that action card can help you um like attack another player Mm -hmm. but it's all a bit risky so yeah definitely and again no no clear-cut answers but uh you know just it's it's also just about asking the right questions and that's uh that's why we're here um so do you think we're ready to move on to alternative point play yeah i think so all right cool so this form is interesting. From what we've read, it's not as popular, uh, but you know, I, I think there's a there's a cool suspense element in it. Uh, so basically, you know, you have your point total that that everyone's playing to, 
just like in the regular point play version, but instead of everyone's points going to the winner of the round, your points that you have left at the end of the round count negatively toward you. You know, so if you, if you had a skip and a reverse, you know, you'd you'd have 40 points at the end of the round. And obviously the winner would get zero points. And, you know, if you cross that threshold of, you know, 500 points or maybe 200 points or whatever you choose, uh, then you're out. You can't play any more rounds. Um, and it's kind of last person standing wins. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of like this because I like the idea of, uh, you know, one by one they're picked off and then finally you know you have a you have a match between two players and you know the last one standing wins there's there's a lot of suspense in that gameplay which is what i why i think it's fun um and then a lot of the strategy you would think you know two point plays they're going to be pretty similar but i think a lot of the strategies are different or even opposite in uh, alternative point play uh, so anything to add, John, before we get into specific strategies? No, uh, Well, yeah, I think actually it's interesting that you mentioned suspense because I think probably the reason why this this form of play, uh, why I would guess it isn't as popular is because it probably leads to a lot of downtime for most of the players. Right. Uh, for example, if you get knocked out early, you're just you're watching people play Uno for another hour, which can be <laughs> uh, probably not how I want to spend my day usually, yeah. my, my normal day. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess that's fair. so I think that like, that can be an interest. That's an interesting thing with, um, you know, formats such as this, that, that people, when you sort of knock people out of the game early, it can be not as fun. Um, but that said, I think it can be, it can be very nice if you're one of those people that keeps, gets to keep playing. Yeah. And if you follow, uh, maybe what we're talking about, hopefully you'll have a higher chance of, uh, staying in the game longer. Yeah. And I think that the bragging rights at the end are probably heightened here as well exactly. compared with the other forms of play. I mean, you've basically won a tournament yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, it's a tournament. Yeah, okay. So basically, um, you know, the reason why strategy here is different is because your points count negatively toward you. So in a sense, you you actually don't care as much about who wins the round. Of course, it's nice to win the round, but if you play 10 rounds and each of those rounds, you know, you only have five points left in your hand when you lose and your opponent, you know, plays these 10 rounds and wins half of them, but on the ones they don't win, they have 50. Well, then you're looking great. Right, yeah. I think the funny thing is just that, like, yeah, you can... You can lose every round except essentially and, and get to the the last two players. Uh, but yeah, I'm like probably phrase that tit for tat strategy. Yeah, and, and I think that the key thing to think about is like, okay, winning a round technically is the best way to minimize the amount of points that you earn because you want to get as few points as possible. So obviously, you're gonna aim to get zero points in every round. However, getting five points in a round is essentially it's almost negligible. Um, get, even getting up to like 10 points is just like not that bad compared to someone who has three or four cards in their hand and they're, and they're taking like a 35 point loss. You know, that's like several rounds of points right there. So I think like this one, this type of play sort of lends itself to really like making sure you offload your expensive cards. Uh, so I think it's kind of like 
what we were just talking about, about, oh, like two or three cards behind, you think about it. Um, I think you start thinking about that stuff even earlier, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that would be my guess. So what, what do you think, Dan? Well, I mean, if I, you know, obviously I don't start thinking about it at the start of the game because, you know, you want to preserve your own flexibility. You, like, you want to be able to attack people, I guess, so... I guess so the game goes on longer and you have more of a chance to offload cards. So, um, like, I'm kind of thinking about... It's almost almost similar to match play, although I, I might be wrong on this, in terms of, like, if somebody's about to win, like you want to... Yeah. Gosh. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe if people are are down to about three cards, I start I start offloading my valuable ones. Yeah. Can't give you a strong reasoning why, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know it's it's it seems so. Yeah, like I said, almost opposite to the other way of thinking. That I'm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just. It's just it's very similar to, um, the other point, the original point play. Uh, just way more incentive to offload uh, expensive cards. So yeah, I think you think about that more often. Um, and also, you again, you don't really care who um, who wins <laughs> each round nearly as much. So I think also like playing. Um, this is like one format where you would actually be heavily incentivized to play a wild draw four or like a draw two against a player who's ahead in the total game even if they're wildly behind in a round. Yes. Right? So because, because giving someone more cards, if the game is about to end, is literally going to just take away points from them. Or it's going well, right. to give them points, which right. they don't want. So so you actually have a, a way more of an incentive to like attack people that aren't winning the round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, so this this is kind of where you get to... You really don't. You really don't care. You know, with the original point play, you only were interested in attacking someone if they were about to win the round. Here, like you know, if they have like zero points total and everyone else has around I don't know a hundred, but they have like ten cards in your hand, in their hand, you might still want to attack them, you know, uh, and and give them some more cards. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that example is a bit extreme, but. You know, the principle is even if somebody has no way to win the round, if they're ahead in the total or have the lowest total, you just you are still interested in sticking it to them. Yeah, I think that's probably the uh, that's actually one of the more interesting parts now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just that and the fact that you actually don't really care who wins the round. You can kind of play it cool when your friends probably come. They they eventually come to brag to you about how many rounds they've won, and you <laughs> say, "Well, we're only like." 10 points different in score so it doesn't really matter yeah um, exactly yeah but yeah i think that's i mean i think that's about it what do you do you have anything else to add for yeah, alternative I, point play yeah I, I think that's a pretty good summary of of how the strategy differs uh and i know we wanted to get to some more juicy concepts as well um talking about the end games talking about switching colors even talking about some bluffing mm. this isn't poker it's uno but um so one of the things we mentioned in our rules blitz is um, you 
are allowed to play a wild draw four only if it's your only possible move. Uh, however, uh, that doesn't stop you from playing a wild draw four, even if you have other moves available. So the person that you attacked with the wild draw four can challenge you, and if you were wrong to play that card, then you have to draw four instead of them. Uh, and if it turns out that you played it correctly, uh, you played it legally, then they have to draw six because they were wrong on the challenge. So we're talking about large amounts of cards here. Um, and I'm trying to think if it's even ever worth challenging someone. And of course, you know, you and I have talked about this. We're really, I think we're really bad at bluffing anyway. <laughs> uh, and so if you're interested in learning how to bluff well, <laughs> we definitely won't be able to tell you that. But maybe we could talk through like sort of a really quick, um, you know, when would you consider bluffing or challenging or is it ever worth it? I think, okay, like when I would consider bluffing has to just be when it's to stop someone who's about to, like to stop your opponent next to you who's about to win the game or sorry, the round. Um well, even the game would be a better reason, but um, if they're about to win a round and uh, you have, well, I think also one thing to think about is that bluff, uh, bluffing that you can't play any other cards works better when you have less cards in your hand. Mm, so right. if you only have three cards in your hand, um, playing a wild draw four is probably like going to be pretty hard to call someone out on. Right. right. Um, so you might have more incentive to, to do that when the opponent next to you has one card left. Um now again, like if you're, on the other hand, uh, someone's trying to play a wild draw four on you, um, then you and you only have one card, um, then you should probably look at them, uh, mm-hmm. and say, okay, they have. Look at how many cards they have. If they have eleven cards. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if they have a lot of cards. If they have a lot of cards, then uh, you can look at it and say, okay, they're probably bluffing just to like, just to give themselves some sort of chance. Um, and in that case, I feel like calling it would be smart because um, if you if you're wrong, you only draw two more cards. Like you're if you're taking a draw four, you're just going to be in bad shape regardless. Mm-hmm. So I feel like t- right. adding two extra cards to the four that you're going to draw is not the biggest punishment if you think that you're somewhat likely to actually win the the call out. Right now, does this change if say so? Obviously, like if if you have Uno and like the person after you also called Uno, for example, um, you know, then I, f- I feel like you're pretty much challenging no matter what, because, you know, you have a, you will maybe lose uh, if you do draw these four cards. Let's say if everyone else has about, you know, maybe three or four cards is, you know, the, the person in second place, do you risk challenging and drawing those more cards where, if you had to draw the four cards, you may still be in it. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you bring up a good point, and I think I probably wouldn't challenge at that point. <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, again, it always depends on how many cards the player who played the draw four has. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. If they have, like, even f- if they're playing a draw four out of five card, out of a five card hand, like, I'd still be a little, I probably wouldn't challenge that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that might be, somewhat of a bait like they might 
you know, they might be baiting you to challenge or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, you can't really, t- I don't know, <laughs> kind of hard to do that. Yeah, you but can't really bait <laughs> with a wild draw four. Yeah, because uh, when you're ba- when you would be quote unquote baiting, you would have no choice but to play the card. <laughs> yeah. So right. um, maybe that's a bad example, but but yeah, I think it varies. You got to like think about. There's so much to think about because one, if you're just playing match play, then you definitely just want to do whatever's gonna maximize your chance to win the round. So you know, like you said, if there's someone right next to you that has Uno, you probably call out the person who played the draw four on you because otherwise you're just very likely to lose Mm -hmm. but in point play um the penalty can be a lot bigger for getting more cards Mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah and i and i think with point play you just you take into consideration the other things we've talked about like who's ahead is this is this person going to um you know, are are they close to winning the whole game? Like, you know, are they are they in the if the, if you're alternative, are they like lower than everyone else? And you know, you or sorry, with alternative, you would you would think of your own point total. Like, are you close to being knocked out? Could these two cards like maybe knock you out or set you back a lot? Yeah, um, but I think that those are the things you want to think about. Um, and now I think. We also wanted to talk about wilds and reneging. Yeah, so Dan kept uh, texting me about uh, reneging, and I had just absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Um, apparently, this is the term to describe exactly um, this uh, situation where you have a wild card in your hand, and you, um, it's, I believe this is the definition, you have a wild card in your hand, and you pass the turn, um, and take a card just so that um, you don't get rid of the wild card from your hand. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Where'd you get that term? Uh, I think it's from one of our sources. All right. Yeah. Um, the How Stuff Works one, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, but But yeah, so the idea is, you know, this wild is just such a good card to have. Uh, and, you know... If you draw a new card, you're a, you have about, you know, again, depending on what's been played, you have about a third chance of pulling something playable. Um, you know, so 24 of a color, seven of uh, seven others of the number and seven wilds other than, you know, what you have in your hand. And um, all that's over 108. So you get roughly a third. Um, and so, again, it's going to change with what's been played. But you have a decent chance of pulling something playable, and you know maybe sometimes the idea is maybe sometimes that chance is going to uh, be sufficient in your mind for the ability to hold on to this wild um, until a time when you think it will be optimal to play it. Yeah, and I think uh, well, and one thing that you brought up when you just talked about bluffing is that um, when you said the word bluffing, it also brought up the fact that if you purposely pass uh when you have a wild card then probably people might think you have a worse hand um than you do True. so they might assume yeah they, they might assume things about your hand that they really shouldn't assume because actually one of your cards was good and it's a wild card um they might think you know they might think for example that you can't play if you if you you know if the pile is red and you pull on a red they're probably going to assume that you can't play on reds other players will do that. So they might try to keep the pile on reds as if that's going to hurt you, but you know it won't. So, 
um, yeah, you can kind of use it to mess with your opponents and what they think your hand looks like. Okay. But then again, I think that's also, there's a flip side of that is that you need to be thinking about that whenever someone else takes a card, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of something that, that just makes the game a lot more complicated. I didn't even know that you were, again, <laughs> I didn't know you were allowed to do this before uh, we started our research. Um, I thought that it was just poor play, you know, or you're not paying attention to your cards or whatever, but, you know, there is a real strategic element of potentially not playing a card, even when you can. And so I think my follow-up would be, would you ever consider drawing instead of playing a wild draw four? Hmm. Um, oh, that's a great question. It seems inherently more risky. Why would that be? Because a wild you can get rid of at any time. Oh, you know, I see. A, a wild draw four, you really can't. So and for so I guess point play, for point play, you know, if you're if you're really behind, then maybe it's not such a smart move. Or even if, even if you're mildly behind, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Okay, I can see that then. Um, because other, if it's just match play, then. I feel like wild draw four is technically it's like almost as good as, as a wild card in getting you down to zero cards. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have a little bit less freedom, so it's going to be inherently like a little worse, but it's not that much worse than just having a wild card mm-hmm. as far as um, sort of deleting your hand size. But yeah, in, in point play, I think again, you just have to start considering what the uh, possible negative side effects of not playing this card would be so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think i think you could probably just gonna have to reason based on the situation of the game and and um the principles we talked about earlier yeah okay sounds good uh so now i think lastly we're gonna talk about uh what you've been waiting for <laughs> um and this is oh, i have the huge question of uh whether to switch colors uh, in a certain endgame scenario, and maybe you want to be the one to lay this out, John. Yeah, so first I'll just say that we're going to assume that you've matched the face of the discard pile with a face in your hand. So assume that you have the ability to change the color of the discard pile, just so I don't um, sound like I'm talking gibberish. Um, the question is is essentially, like, what do you gain? When should you switch the color if you have the opportunity to switch it? or keep it the same? Um, and when should you switch the color? When should you not switch the color? Um, now, I think we all co- like come up to this and we all kind of think, oh, like if we could match a number, we might as, you know, that that seems like fun. And so it comes up less often. So you, you like, you might play the number match just because um, it's sort of fun and, and satisfying. Yeah. Kind of throws everyone for a loop. Yeah. And ch- yeah, exactly. Changing the color can throw everyone for a loop. Um, but I think other things to consider is is this is where like counting cards comes into play a ton because you need to think about what cards have been played in large numbers. So like what color is everyone mm, least likely to have? Um, and then also think about what colors you have in your hand. So like the example I was thinking of is that say the, the discard pile shows red and um, you have three red cards and four green cards, but you match a green face to the red card. So you can either play your green card and then go down to three green cards in hand and three red cards in hand. 
or you can play a red card on top of the red, and then you have two reds and four greens on top, or in your, in your hand. So then the question is, do you switch or do you not switch? Um, my interpretation or my, my thoughts have been that it really does depend on what was most recently played. Um, for example, if the stack's been red for a long time, then you might sort of assume that uh, other players are getting depleted of all the red cards in hand. So you might actually want to keep it on the red. Um, whereas if the color was just switched to red and then you have the chance to switch it again, that might actually be um, quite useful. So what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I think if you know if more reds have been played than greens, then you know something else to think about is if you switch it to green then it's going to be it's going to it might be hard to get rid of the rest of your reds later because it might be less likely that the pile is going to switch to red if most of the reds have already been played so you might want to get rid of your reds while you still can yeah cuz i mean all the, on any given turn the i feel like the pile is more likely to stay the same color than it is to switch right and so if you're trying to like get rid of cards from your hand i feel like you can almost sort of plan on the pile staying the same color because if it switches you have like no control over what it switches to mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just a right. random chance at that point but you can control what the pile looks like when like after your turn right <laughs> that's basically all you can control right yeah so i mean um yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of something besides, you know, what's again, what's in your hand and what has been played that would that would sort of also dictate whether you wanted to switch or not. I mean, well, I guess you can think of uh what the players in the lead have been playing too. Specifically them as opposed to the other players. But I'm not. That seems a lot harder to keep track of, uh, per- personally. Yeah, <laughs> so definitely. Um, yeah, it's usually further than I go when I play. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, you know, if you're at a party, you know, may- maybe you've had a few drinks. May- maybe you're not exactly able to. Maybe you're keep not in tip-top shape. Yeah, <laughs> all the colors that everyone has played. You know, so. Um, but. I mean, so I I think maybe maybe we should get into. Do we want to talk about like, you know, extend it to the two card variety at the end? Yeah, I think um, because this is like a, that's a general case and that's a, a case for like in the middle of the game. But I think the most important time to consider this is like when a player has gone to Uno, and you have the chance to switch colors. And should you switch colors, right? I feel like that's what's most impactful about this sort of discussion. So yeah, we can talk about that. Um, yeah, and I can go ahead to. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's uh, imagine the same situation. The you know player, say the player to your right, um, puts down a red card, and calls Uno, and you have a red card and then a green card that matches face. Um, do you switch or do you stay red? Um, now I think. Dan has done sort of the math out, the mathing out of this. And so if you assume that you don't really know, if you assume that everyone, that 
things are kind of just happening randomly. The deck's evenly distributed. There's equal number of each color, um, which of course we'll know if it's, we'll know how many like cards of each color are in the deck still by that time of the game. But imagine they're all even. Um, then you know basically if you don't switch, there's a 25% chance um, that the player will have that same color when it comes back around to them but if you do switch um when dan did the math out it's still 25 percent chance that whatever color you switch to uh the opponent will have in their hand right um but this is not taking into account anything as far as strategy or previous knowledge of cards played right so i feel like that's that's gotta skew what you do yeah i mean so so like you said you switch to red or sorry you switch to green or you stay on red like if you know again if most of the red cards have been played then it's prob it's probable that that last card in your opponent's head is not a red i guess more probable than the baseline so you probably want to stay on red um you know if not a lot of red cards have been played or you know maybe a, maybe a lot of green cards have been played so you switch it to green or maybe you don't you know it's like maybe not a lot of cards of green have been played um you know but fewer red cards have been played i mean you and like you said you don't have the option to switch to green or to, sorry to blue or yellow uh so even if you might want to maybe those have been most played um you know you just you know i i think you i think you go with with the one that's just less likely to be out there so the one that's been played the most mm-hmm. yeah. and i think the only other thing that can really I, I agree with you there that as a baseline um when you consider all this new all this information that you have about what cards have been played then you can decide what color is most likely to be in their hand um, but i think this also doesn't account for human like like the, for the strategy element of the game so i was wondering like for example won't will a player be more likely to try and get their, like, a, will a good player um, be more likely to try and get their last two cards to be of the same color or of different colors? Um, and now I think personally that it would be better for a player, like, if you're trying to exit, if you're trying to, like, get rid of all your cards, I think you'd rather have two reds than a red and a green in your hand. Right. Because if you can play the one red then it's more likely, you know, by the time the turn comes around to you, um, as long as the color didn't switch, you win. Um, If you play a green, if you have a red and a green and you play a red, call Uno, then you have to, you have to get lucky. The the color has to switch and it has to switch to, to the correct color that you have. Um, So that's like pretty unlikely, I feel like. So as a player, I think it actually would be nice to try and get down to two cards of the same color. I mean, ideally you have one card of one color and then a wild card or stuff like that. But, um, you know, like two greens, I feel like is going to get you out of the game faster than a red and a green. Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, going off again on the idea that the color doesn't change relatively often. So if you, if you start out with a pretty evenly spaced hand, you know, 2-2, two, 2-2, two, 
two and one, maybe, you know, it's likely that, you know, you're going to play one of your colors first and then the color is going to change and you're going to play another of your colors and then the color is going to change or whatever. And then it's probably more likely that your last two cards are going to be the same color than that they're going to be split. Would you agree with this? Yeah, I would think so, right? Because at least more likely than random chance, right? Yeah, it should be slightly more likely that um that you end up that you don't end up with even hands. I feel like yeah, that makes sense, right? Your hands can yeah. go when you're drawing cards, your hands tend to be sort of somewhat evenly distributed. Um of course there's still randomness involved, but and then as you play, your hands most likely going to get filtered out of individual colors. And then you'll have a less even hand as you as you go down in cards. So I think that that definitely makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah, I, I think that's a good insight. So so that might make you more likely to actually want to switch the color if you can. Um, you know, you might you still absolutely one hundred percent need to consider what's been played. Like mm-hmm. again, again, I would maybe argue that's the biggest issue um, that you need to consider. Um, but yeah, you should also keep in mind that like naturally this game, because it doesn't switch colors very often is going to lend itself to sort of clusters of cards of the same color being played at a time and conversely being left in your hand at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think so it, it doesn't switch colors as often as it stays the same color. (laughs) Definitely like, cause you know, it, you could still say it switch switches colors often because that's sort of a relative term, but um, yeah, it definitely is more likely that the pile stays the same color than to say that it changes color. Right. Um, this would be yeah. I, I think that's pretty um, easily arguable. So yeah, yeah. So I guess those two things is what you what you want to consider. Um, and I mean, I mean personally, I would consider them about even. Dan uh, thinks that that mostly what matters is what's been played. Um, again, that's why we're just talking here and we're trying to discuss. Um, yeah. So, but I do think that in either case, it it's like given no other information, I would like to switch colors Okay. because if you switch colors, it's sort of like you sort of bring the percentage back down to 25% mm-hmm. or you at least like you, you sort of, know the percentage is closer to the base rate of of like what is left in the deck okay would be my guess <laughs> i i think because i yeah i think like the re- because people can sort of shape their hands um but they're but if they only have two cards like there's nothing saying that they would shape their hand to like a red and a green as opposed to a red and a blue right um if they think like red's gonna come up often then they have to like figure out which other card. I don't know. Yeah, I I just I feel like switching is like a safer bet on average than not switching. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's that's fair. Um, you know, given again, like um, if everything's been even or roughly even, then yeah, you probably want to switch. And then you know maybe maybe you say like if if the colors have been very lopsided and you have an opportunity to switch to a color that's been played a lot, maybe that tips the scales. But yeah, probably I I would agree with you that the default would be you should switch if you can. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think also just the biggest thing to remember is that whatever you do decide, um, if it works or doesn't work, don't uh, take it to heart. Exactly. Because <laughs> you could yep. definitely make the right move and it still doesn't work out. It's just, yep. just how it exactly. goes. Or you could make a stupid decision and it worked this one time. So That's what randomness does. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, we, you know. I think that's we bring this up almost every episode. So, yep, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I think that covers what we had. Unless you had any final words. No. Yeah. I mean, just you know, play out as many cards as you can. I guess <laughs> it's the game of Uno. That's the name of the game. Uno is the name of the game. So, yeah, uh, we're going to wrap up then uh, really quick before we go. Uh, there was this website that we came across. When we were doing our research, it's called unotips.com. It will not really teach you how to play Uno, but it's it's a fantastically written uh, sort of almost like pseudo serious comedic account of Uno. It's it's hard to explain, but you should go there and check it out. It's it gave us a lot of laughs. Well, it will take you it'll take you through the philosophy of uh, Uno really more than the rules or gameplay um definitely <laughs> but it's oh it's definitely it it's worth uh it's worth a click for sure <laughs> absolutely unotips.com all right so uh that's it for the show and uh we will see you next time yeah thank you and this has been how to beat your kids at board games see you next time Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something. We always do. If you like our show, please tell your friends and be sure to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for games you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at htbykabg at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.